Good morning, Five Points Community Church. At this time, we're going to continue to worship by hearing the Word of God read. Our scripture reading at this time will come from Philippians chapter 3, and we'll read verses 7 through 14. This is the Word of God. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you that you are a God who steadfast love endures forever we thank you for your great faithfulness to us your people would you bless us today father and grant us to hear your word let your spirit open our hearts let your spirit teach us today and we pray that you would be blessed now through the preaching of your holy word and we ask this in jesus name amen amen you may be seated it's good to be here with you all I always look forward to the opportunity to come and share with my brothers and sisters here at Five Points Community Church. Today we're going to dive right in this passage and preach on the topic here of pressing towards the goal. Pressing toward the goal. You know, by this being the beginning of a new year, we know that around this time it is common that people usually make New Year's resolutions and 15 days into the new year I'm sure just about everybody have already given up on their New Year's resolutions by now but nevertheless it is good sometimes to kind of reevaluate where you're going and what you're doing and, and refocus it's, it's good sometimes to, to recommit to reevaluate and, and, and refocus on your goals and and, and recommit yourself, rededicate yourself to something. And the same is true in the Christian life. As it says in one of the hymns that we sing, we all can identify with it. Our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts are prone to wander from Christ. We're constantly finding ourselves going after idols, struggling with sin, diminishing in our zeal and in our passion for Christ. 
And the new year or any time is a good time to kind of rededicate yourself to, to getting rid of those idols and, 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 and getting rid of those distractions. And as the Bible says, laying aside the weight and the sin that so easily tang entangles us and recommitting to running the race with patience. But what does that look like? What, what is the race? What is the goal that we are pressing towards as Christian people? If we're going to talk about renewing our dedication or, or, or recommitting ourselves, rededicating ourselves to living the Christian life, what exactly is the goal? What are we, what are we aiming at in the Christian life? Philippians chapter 3 is a passage that, that I've always loved so much. Paul is very personal in this chapter. Paul never talks much about himself. He's, so, he's such a, 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 a soldier for the Lord Jesus Christ that he doesn't think about himself. All he thinks about is preaching Christ and, and ministering to God's people. But in this particular passage, Paul gets personal here and he talks about his conversion experience. And in talking about his conversion experience, he talks also about about what drives him. He's talk, he talks about what the goal is that he has before him, the thing that he's pressing towards. And I think this is not just good for Paul, but he's expressing something that's good for all of us. I think in looking at Paul's testimony here, we all should be able to find something to identify with. And so let's look at Paul's testimony here as he first describes his, his conversion experience, as he converts or as he describes what turning to Christ involved for him. And he, he looks at it as a losing for the sake of gaining. A losing for the sake of gaining. Look at verse 7 again. And Paul says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And he repeats it for emphasis. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ." Now, again, Paul, in describing his conversion experience, he doesn't, he doesn't portray accepting Christ as just an adding on of something to his life. But he actually loses something in order to gain Christ. What does he lose? What is this, what is this that he counts as loss? What is it that he had to give up and renounce in order to gain Christ? Well, we have to back up a few verses to find that out. You see, Paul was warning the Philippians about the Jewish teachers who were, who were teaching the people to, to take pride in their Jewishness and in the Jewish religion and the ceremonies of Judaism, turning the people's attention off of Christ and back to the old ceremonies of the law. And Paul is saying, listen, when, I, when, when we accepted Christ, we, we turned away from that stuff. We renounced that stuff. And he repeats his experience with that. 
Look back, if you will, in this uh, same chapter here, beginning at verse 4 in Philippians 3. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, he, he was setting apart the Christian from these, these Judaizers. Who, were, who had confidence in the flesh. By confidence in the flesh, what he means is they were depending, they were relying upon their achievement. They were relying upon their, their efforts and their abilities to earn righteousness with God through keeping the external outward ceremonies and rituals of the Old Testament law. And Paul is saying, listen, if you think you could brag about how good you were in keeping the law, I can, I can brag more than any of you. And so he begins to recount his achievements in Judaism. In verse 5, he says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, he's talking here about his, his nationality. He was a true Jew. He had much to be proud of. He was an Israelite. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe from which the first king of Israel came from, King Saul, a prestigious tribe. Not only that, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, I'm not a proselyte. I wasn't converted to Judaism. I'm a true uh, Hebrew. He's he, he took pride in his nationality as though his nationality made him pleasing to God but not only that he took pride in his achievements his religious achievements look at it again in verse 5 there as to the law of Pharisee in other words I wasn't just any Jew I was a part of the strictest the strictest sect the Pharisees as to zeal a persecutor of the church in other words I didn't just talk the talk I walked the walk and I was so bad that I, I persecuted those followers of Jesus those blasphemers I persecuted them I was zealous for the law I was zealous for Judaism he says as to righteousness under the law blameless in other words, I did it all. I, I did all the commandments. I did all the ceremonies. I did everything required externally from the law. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And here Paul is using the language of a business accountant. It's as though he's tabulating his assets and liabilities. And when he says, whatever gain I had, he, in other words, he said, I used to think that all of these things were assets. My Jewish nationality, being of the tribe of Benjamin, being a true Hebrew, being blameless in my external conformity to the law, all of these were my assets. These were things that I felt made me right in God's eyes. I felt that God loved me and accepted me because of all of this. But he says, the opposite is the case. Whatever gain I had, whatever assets I thought I had, I counted as loss, as liabilities for the sake 
of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. How is it, brothers and sisters, that these things, are these things bad in themselves? Is it a bad thing to be Jewish? Is it a bad thing to, to, to try and keep the Old Testament law? These things are not bad in, the, in and of themselves. Why does Paul say, I count this as loss, as liabilities? Why, is, why does he say he now renounced these things? Not only that, but also notice what he says in verse, in verse 8 there. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And that's a vulgar word that he uses there. It really carries the idea of human excrement. You see how strong he feels about this. What's wrong with these things? The things is this. When we depend on our nationality, when we depend on our religious achievements, when we depend on our works and our efforts and what we can do in order to gain righteousness with God, we damn ourselves. All attempts at self-salvation is abominable in the eyes of God. We can't save ourselves. We can't be righteous through our own works. We cannot earn God's grace. We cannot, and we cannot merit God's favor, favor through our works. And Paul is saying anything that we rely upon other than Christ, anything that we look to and rest in and rely upon to gain ourselves favor with God, it's trash. And we need to renounce that. And so Paul said, everything that I was proud of, everything that I rested in, everything that I felt made me better than others and made me acceptable to God, I now renounce that in order to gain Christ. And brothers and sisters, that's true for any and all of us. If you would have Christ, if you would gain Christ, if you would know Christ and, and, and enjoy his salvation, you must come to the end of self. We must come like, like the writer says in that old hymn, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Brothers and sisters, salvation is by grace and grace alone. And that's the first thing that Paul recounts with regards to his testimony of his being converted to Christ. He had to lose everything in order to gain Jesus Christ. And did not Jesus say that this is the first lesson of discipleship? That to be a disciple and a follower of Christ involves a losing of everything in order to gain Christ? Matthew 16, 24 through 26 then Jesus told his disciples if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it here Jesus is telling us what the first thing we must do if we're going to be his disciple. And we talk a lot in the church today about discipleship. 
But do we really realize what, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? He says, if you're going to follow me and be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Let him deny himself. And what does he mean by that? The same thing Paul had to realize in Philippians. All the stuff I took pride in. All my efforts at self-salvation. All my self-confidence. All of my self-seeking. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you must deny all of that. What he means, and again, self-denial is not self-neglect. Self-denial is not joining a monastery somewhere and becoming a monk or a hermit and not working and not providing for your family. That's not what that means. Clearly, the Bible tells us in other places that we are to serve God. We are to, we are to provide for our families and we are to work. He said if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. But what he's talking about is this attitude of prioritizing self, living for self. This whole idea of making, making the priority in life, pursuing my happiness and pers pursuing my self-fulfillment and, and making everything about my happiness and, and doing everything with the purpose of pleasing myself. Living a life that is oriented around self. He's saying to be my disciple, you must deny self. And notice, deny himself and take up his cross. What does it mean to take up your cross? What did Jesus do on the cross? He died. You know, in order for us to follow Jesus, in order for us to deny ourselves, it's going to take us dying with Jesus. It's not easy to deny self, especially in the modern culture we're in today. We're being told constantly how much we need to serve self and to seek our happiness and live for our dreams and live to accomplish these things and those things in order to be happy and fulfilled and to pursue success and pleasure and all of this, all of this type of stuff. We're reminded of that every day, all day. And then our very own nature gravitates to that. Our nature wants to be pampered. We want to be gratified. We want everything to be about me, myself, and I. We want to be on center stage. Our nature wants that. But Jesus says, in order to follow me, you must deny yourself and die to self. And that's the first thing that Paul realized. But it doesn't just end there. It doesn't just end with denying yourself. It involves also a gaining of Christ. Salvation is not just denying self and just living a life of self-affliction, self-abasement, and denying yourself we deny ourselves in order to gain Christ and know him. Notice it in verses 8 through 11. He says here, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Why do I lose everything? Why do I renounce living a self-centered life? 
because of the surpassing worth. There's something more better. There's something more excellent. There's something superior than living a, a self-centered, self-absorbed life. As a matter of fact, brothers and sisters, if you look around you, if you just pay attention, you notice the more self-absorbed a person is, the less happy that person actually is. You know, the world has everything upside down. The world tells us we'll be happy and fulfilled if we just, just do whatever we want to do, if we be autonomous and, and be free and liberated from all restraints and, and just do whatever makes us happy. But yet we're the most depressed, drug-addicted society probably the world has ever known. What a paradox. We have all this abundance and freedom and opportunity in this country, but yet we're some of the most depressed. Why is drug addiction so high in the United States of America? I believe it's because of the, the need to escape the anxiety and the stress of living a life trying to, to always please yourself and keep up with, with the latest thing that you have to do in order to be happy. The way to happiness is not through self-absorption. The way to happiness is in gaining Christ. And so Paul says, I gave all of that up in order that I might gain Christ. But what does that look like? What does it look like to gain Christ? Again, he says, in order that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. First of all, he's talking here about salvation. He's talking about receiving the gift of justification. And Paul is saying, when I was in Judaism, I did all this religious work and activity, trying to be right with God. I, I, I submitted to all these legalistic rules and all of these, these burdens I, I bore in order to try to gain righteousness with God, in order to achieve righteousness, in order to pull myself up by my own bootstraps and be accepted to God. He says, but knowing Jesus surpasses anything else because in Jesus I receive a righteousness that is not my own but a righteousness that is given to me by a gift of grace one that I receive freely look at it again in verse 9 and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith in Christ we receive a true righteousness. If Paul or any of the other Jews had had any real spiritual insight, they would have realized that the more they were chasing after this external righteousness which came through obedience to the law, the more they would have really saw how far they actually were from it. But the Jews were blinded about the true nature of the righteousness of God. And that's one of the things Jesus tried to show the Jewish people during his earthly ministry, particularly with the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember. If you remember the Sermon on the Mount, how Jesus was saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you, 
He was referring to the Jewish interpretation. The rabbis and the Pharisees, you heard them say, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, to look on a woman with lust, that man has already committed adultery in his heart. You see, the problem with the Jews is to them, the law was all external. Hey, just don't sleep with another man's wife and you're good. Never mind if your heart is full of lust. Hey, just don't go out and kill nobody. If that person cuts you off in traffic, you can curse them and say all kind of bad things about them and fume with anger. Just don't actually carry out the act of murder. And Jesus is saying, no. If the lust, if the anger, if the envy, if all of these things are in your heart, you're no different than the person who actually goes out and commit the act. God wants us righteous, not just in external behavior, but also in our hearts and our desires and in our thoughts. He wants us righteous outwardly and inwardly. And so what Paul didn't realize is that prior to Christ, he thought he was righteous because of his outward conformity to the law, but inwardly, he should have been able to see that he was not righteous. None of us are. And so in Christ, there's a liberty. There's a freedom in Christ. Because I'm not under that yoke of bondage of having to try to be something that I'm not. Trying to keep laws that I know I can't keep. A law that's telling me you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I know that my heart is full of hatred towards certain people. A law that tells me you shall not covet, yet I know that my heart is full of greed and lust. A law which tells me that I, ought to, that I am to love God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and yet I know deep down inside that I don't love God that much. Because my heart still goes after the idols. My heart still goes after sin. But Paul says, in Christ, I have found something so beautiful. I have found something so liberating. No longer am I burdened with the, with the obligation to try and obey a law which I cannot keep. But in Christ, I receive that righteousness as a gift, as though I have already kept the law as though I am blameless, as though I've never sinned. I receive the righteousness of Christ imputed to my account by faith. And so that's, what it, that's part of what it means to know Christ. It is to receive his righteousness as a gift. We are found in him. We are found in Christ. We have been baptized into Jesus Christ. We have been brought into union with him. And as a result of that, we receive his righteousness, a righteousness that is not our own, but his spotless, perfect righteousness. What else does he mention here as a part of gaining Christ? Fellowship with Christ, a living fellowship with Christ that comes from this union with him. Again, look at verse 10. That I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now here he's not just talking when he says that I might know Jesus. He's not talking about it just an intellectual, theoretical knowledge of Jesus. He's talking about an experiential knowledge. A knowledge of relationship. That's why he goes on to say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. In other words, there is a sharing. There is a realizing of the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That same power is at work in me. That I might, he says, know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We become such in such a union with Christ until the life he lived, we live. Our lives is a recapitulation of the life of Christ. We share in his sufferings. We share in his death. And we participate in his resurrection. There's a living, real union there. A spiritual communion that we enjoy with Christ Jesus. And that's part of what it means to gain Christ and to know Christ. He is in us. We are in him. And we share his power. We share in his sufferings. We share in his life. And then the other thing he mentions here is glorification. We share also in his resurrection in verse 11 that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It's talking about the glory that is to come to us. The glory, Christ has already been risen from the dead. Christ has already entered into his glory. But when he comes back for us at the end of the age, we too will be raised with him and we will be glorified together with him and share in his kingdom eternally with him. This is the goal, brothers and sisters. This is the goal of the Christian life, to know Christ, to gain him, to be found in him, to be covered with the robes of his righteousness, to fellowship and share in his resurrection power and suffering, and to share in his resurrected life and glory. But now, here's the reality. That's the goal. That's what we're aiming for. But notice Paul gives us the reality here in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. What? Paul? Paul is not perfect? Paul hasn't already attained this? Yes, the great apostle Paul says, I have not already obtained this. I don't fully know Christ. I have not fully gained Christ. Even though he has called me for this, I have not fully realized it. I only know him in part. I don't see him as I desire to see him. I don't see him the way I will see him when he returns for me. I don't enjoy the fellowship in his death and in his life the way I ought to and should. I still struggle with sin. Sometimes I don't feel that power. Sometimes I don't feel the fellowship with Christ. He seems distant from me at times. 
But what's the, the resolve here? Notice Paul's resolve in verse 12. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not con consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal. You get the picture he's painting for us. Paul says, Jesus Christ laid a hold of me in order that I might know him, that I might know the fellowship of his sufferings and resurrection power in order that I might know his perfect righteousness and be justified and blameless in the sight of God in order that I might know the reality of the resurrection and share with him in his glory I haven't fully realized that yet he said but I'm pressing towards that and notice this is the great preoccupation of his life this is the thing that is the priority for Paul. This is the thing that, that he devotes all of his energy to. He compares it to a person running with all his might in order to reach the goal. He says there in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider my, that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, to what lies ahead. You get the picture of, of, a, of, of a person running in an Olympic race and he's competing against all these other runners and he's running with all his might to, to hit that finish line first. He's running so hard, I don't even have time to look back. What happens when the runner, if the runner looks back to see how close someone is to him? If you turn around and look back, you'll trip yourself up. It'll slow you down. And so he says, I'm not looking over my shoulder to see who's next to me or who's behind me. He says, I'm straining forward. And by straining forward, you get the idea of a person that's just busting forward, pushing himself forward, trying to hit that tape first. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's straining forward. He's pressing on to be like Jesus, to perfectly realize what it is to know Jesus and to have communion and fellowship with Jesus Christ. That's the resolve of the great apostle Paul. And I think it should be the resolve of each and every one of us. All too often, brothers and sisters, we lose focus, especially in our modern American culture. There is so much to distract us, so much to, to detour us and derail us from pursuing Christ, so many idols for us to go after. And not only that, brothers and sisters, even within the Christian church, even within the Christian church, it has become common to teach that, hey, God wants you to live for this down here. 
How often do we hear some of the televangelists and some of the prosperity preachers and teachers and even some who call themselves reformed telling us that, well, God, God has a wonderful plan for your life and God wants you to be rich and, and God wants you to have everything that your heart desires and God wants you to do this and do that and fulfill your dreams and, and put your focus on the here and the now and on the mundane and the, the temporary transient things of this life. And again, the idea here is not that we are to neglect all of the other mundane, mundane things of life. That's not the point. The point here is, what are you pursuing above everything else? What is the priority in your life? Is your career the priority? Is advancement on your job the priority? Is that what you're straining for? Is that what you're pressing towards? Is it comfort for your family? Is it a bigger house? Is it success in business? Are these the things that you are pressing towards? There's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves if they are secondary and if they serve the ultimate purpose of pursuing God. What does the scripture tell us? Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. There's nothing wrong with eating or drinking. There's nothing wrong with owning a business. There's nothing wrong with, with sending your kids off to college, but do it to the glory of God. And anytime any of these things becomes an obstacle in your pursuit of Christ, then Paul says those are the things that we need to count as rubbish and lose in order to gain Christ. Father in heaven, oh Lord God, we, we thank you that you are so patient with us and that your mercy endures forever. Because all too often, Father, we acknowledge that we, we press towards other things. We lose the priority and focus, Lord God. Would you help renew us today? Renew us today, Father, in our determination to make pursuing Christ the priority in our life. Give us the grace, Lord God, to press on toward the, the goal. And we ask this in the name of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.